Welcome to the Thomas Industry Update Podcast, actionable information for industry leaders. Hi, I'm Kathy Ma. I'm Sean Fitzgerald. And I'm Tony Uphoff. Welcome to the Thomas Industry Update Podcast. I'm Kathy Ma. Today, we're excited to welcome Jerome Dubois, the co-CEO and co-founder at Six River Systems, a company founded on redefining fulfillment and creating technologies to make warehousing a lot more efficient. So Jerome, I'm, I was so excited to see your name on the brief because obviously you guys have been disrupting the sector for a long time. How did you get into fulfillment? And can you tell us a bit about yourself and your background? Sure. Uh, Kathy, thank you very much for having us uh, here today and uh, allowing us to share our story a little bit. Uh, for me, uh, my experience in supply chain started as a son of a CEO in high school who would go to work for his dad uh, in a warehouse, uh, in, in the warehousing section of a manufacturing company. So I was, my very first job was free labor, counting parts and in the stock room and updating old fashioned accounting software with the inventory. And that was, you know, well over 30 years ago, close to 35 years ago. But Professionally, I've been in the industry for 25 years, primarily in uh, always in technology as a technology provider in software space with warehouse management and order management systems, and later transitioned over to uh, <clears throat> the hardware software space with uh, a company called Kiva Systems that I joined back in 2008, uh, and then later founding uh, Six Server Systems in 2015. That's incredible. Can you tell us a bit about Six River Systems for those who might not have heard of you before? Sure. So uh, we were founded in 2015. Uh, we focus on developing solutions for fulfillment, which is essentially each picking in warehouses. It's not for uh, warehouses that are doing cases and pallets and heavy uh, full truckload uh, distribution, but more what we're seeing in the direct-to-consumer retail replenishment, what's called break-pack type of operations. So the, the, the company was built around the premise of uh, providing solutions that use less automation, less infrastructure in the building, uh, and very nimble and flexible infrastructure instead of the heavy steel and gears and motors that we typically see from heavily automated buildings. Um, we uh, developed a product uh, called Chuck, which is an autonomous mobile robotic solution. Um, Chuck is the nickname uh, for, the, for Charles, which is uh, the Charles River. It's named after the Charles River in, in Boston. Um, and uh, Chuck uh, does three things for us. It helps um, bring work to associates in the warehouse. So the associate is walking far less than they used to. Um, it also, through our advanced software algorithms, we're able to condense the pick path down so that when an associate does get assigned to work, um, that they are walking a lot less to complete that work. And lastly, um, the chuck itself makes the work a lot easier to do. So it's, it, it trains the associate. It's very easy to, to learn how to do it. It leads the associate through the warehouse. Um, so it trains the associate within a very short period of time and also paces the associate through their work. So they don't have to drag a cart around. They don't have to carry an RF gun to confirm picks or anything like that. It's all built right into this mobile robotic system. Um, so those three things generally will allow us to double the productivity of associates and warehouses uh, for the picking process. And what's super interesting when I read the case studies on your website is that the training time it takes for a company to onboard their new associates, especially during holiday and peak seasons, is drastically reduced. Can you tell us a bit about how the system can actually save so much time in training and onboarding? 
Yep, and we see that across not just the hourly associates, but also the, the leads and the supervisors and the general managers that are running the building. So to put it simply, when you first walk into a building, you have no idea where anything is. Um, so in order to understand where to go next, you have to like memorize the layout of the building. And these buildings are quite large. There could be a million square feet uh, in size. So you can imagine trying to remember where a specific location is in the building and having to train yourself on doing that. Well, <clears throat> one of the, that's one of the problems. The, the other problem is how do you actually do the work itself? There's a certain series and sequence of things that need to happen to do the work correctly. And of course, associates want to do their work well. They don't want to make mistakes. So you try to help them reduce the number of mistakes by making the work easier to do. The way that Chuck works is when an hourly associate simply badges into it, the Chuck actually runs and leads the associate, runs in front of the associate. So they follow the Chuck to where they need to go. And as they're doing that, the Chuck is presenting information about the work at hand. And that could be what's referred to as a pick task, pulling inventory off of a shelf and putting it to a specific order. It could be a replenishment task, taking inventory off the Chuck and putting it to a specific location. But the steps involved in doing that correctly are all iterated through in a workflow that's very intuitive for the user to understand. There's no texts that they have to read. There's no instructions. It's usually images and numbers. So it's very easy for them to understand. And we use movement, lights, and images to really uh, communicate that information to the associate. Um, and what we've seen on an hourly associate basis is that training has gone down from say a typical two weeks for a manual process down to just a couple of hours, uh, less than a day typically for, uh, for a, a direct associate or you know, direct labor associate to be able to get up and ramped up to productivity using our system. That, that is incredible because you're not just creating a robotic system, you're creating a collaborative environment between human and robot. So in your experience, how, how do the associates react to Chuck? Did they name them? Did they put a little, you know, bow on the, on the, on the robot's head? Did they bond? How does it all work? So uh, I think you hit on two very important things. From the very beginning, the system was designed from an operator's perspective. It comes from decades of experience working in warehouses and thinking about how associates and operators want to use the system. So we spent a lot of time making it collaborative, right? It is by definition, something that's gonna work side by side with a human. So we wanna make sure that it's comfortable to work with. Um, we use things like headlights and taillights to indicate and, and blinking, just like you would in a car as an example, to indicate if I'm turning right or to the left. Um, we use lights on the chuck to, to indicate to the operator, where do I place the item when I'm done with it? So very, very easy to learn, very intuitive, and it's of course very safe. There's a lot of safety sensors around it, so it's not running into things, and the operator feels very confident that they can work with this in a safe manner. So that's that's obviously most important. <clears throat> In terms of the relationship, some of the great stories that we have, so we actually personalize the Chucks. All of the robots generically are called Chuck, but customers have the option of putting license plates on them. So we actually print off these license plates ahead of time and we come up with some wonderful names. Of course, there's the typical robot names or the Star Wars influence names, but then we get things like um, university mascots or high school mascots, or in one of our cases, one of our customers picks a lot of Disney product so they named after Disney characters. So you've got Goofy and Minnie and Mickey running around. And it's a lot of fun because the, the people develop a relationship with them. 
and they named them or they, they call them by their names. Um, so they like working with Minnie and they don't like working with Mickey for whatever reason, right? Like, and the, there's little personalities that develop there. So that is fascinating. And, and what is really interesting is I came from a tech background, right? And hearing what you put together is incredible. Talking about multidisciplinary aspects of different expertise, right? From automation, robotic, uh, material design to programmatic intelligence and use of data. How did you even kind of get to develop expertise in your organization across all those disciplines and, and, and build something yourself? I mean, you probably didn't sleep a lot, did you? <laughs> well, the good news is that the warehousing space is actually a perfect melting pot of all these, those things put together. If you think about warehouses, there's millions and millions and millions of transactions being run every single day in a warehouse. So you have all this data Right. And then in addition to that, there's always a need for automation in terms of reducing the amount of walking and simplifying the work for the, the associates. So there's there's the mechanization and all the electronics that go with the controls and the safety systems. So you do need a lot of different disciplines represented in the company. And we do have uh, a very significant staff at this point. You know, we're, we're over 250 employees. Um, and over 120 of those are engineers and all of, uh, engineers of software engineers, hardware engineers, data engineers. So very, very significant investment in terms of building out that capability. Uh, but it is amazing. Like I, I'm super passionate about this space because of exactly what you pointed out. It's so interdisciplinary, uh, so many different facets and interactions there. You know, the simple task of representing work to a, an associate for them to understand it touches all those different things. You have to have data and learning there. You have to have the electronics. You have to have the software. You have to have all these different pieces to work flawlessly together to get this machine to lead an associate uh, through their work and, and to pace them in a, in a healthy and productive way. So a lot of fun to kind of think about all those different uh, permutations and combinations. Right. Uh, let's talk about data in manufacturing, distribution, and warehousing. When you talk to your prospects or your new customers, what kind of common themes of, of, of data challenges you see them experiencing? Because I, I can imagine when you onboard a new company, they it, 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 you will require them to already have some sort of data system tracking, you know, where the product's coming from, uh, new orders coming in. How would you kind of rate your clients in terms of the level of sophistication and, and the amount of work it requires for you to upskills them so that truck can operate seamlessly in the in the, in the warehouse. Yeah, I, I think that's a great question. So there are a couple of different axes that we measure our customers by. Obviously, um, the, fit, the how much how much benefit they will be able to realize from our system starts with where they are as an operator, uh, what types of systems they already have in place in terms of both processes and and computer systems, and then from an IT perspective how comfortable are they with technology and making investments in technology and rolling them out. We have developed a, uh, a form of integration that's actually kind of um, gets as sophisticated as our customers want to be. So it can be very, very basic to simplify the integration and just really have two touch points between the systems. But it does require a host system, generally a warehouse management system to be in place to provide us information on orders, and then we send confirmations back up. And we can do that in a very simplistic fashion. Um, but yet some of our customers are far more sophisticated, and we're there as an example, we're handling integrations with a lot of downstream systems in addition to the work with Chuck. So 
there's a lot more integration points that are required there. Um, and, you know, we do work with them pretty carefully on that integration. In addition, I think the question around data is very interesting. One of the biggest blind spots for our customers today is the visibility to that data. How am I doing? It's very, it's, it's, it's an easy question, but many customers don't even know how they're doing. And um, what we provide is that visibility. So we have a cloud-based software system that uh, aggregates all this information and presents it to them in actionable dashboards so that a, a lead can walk in and log into their, to their dashboard and say, shoot, I need to get two more people over to this area because I'm not gonna meet my deadlines, right? And we provide those suggestions to them to help them manage the day-to-day -day activities and simplify that work for them pretty significantly. And that cascades all the way up to the regional vice president who may be logging in and saying, how is my warehouse performing to its overall SLA metrics or its overall cost metrics? and really start seeing those trends and measure them that way. So we got a lot of uh, kudos and a lot of feedback in terms of that visibility of that data and making it really easy for people to understand. I can imagine having actionable insights coming out from the, from the, from the data warehouse is usually the biggest challenges for the company. And it's really quite nice to hear that Six River Systems can integrate with a lot of existing systems. So that takes me to you know, um, the fact that your company has been bought by Shopify in 2019. Congratulations. Talking about integration points and being an API octopus that can connect to everything, Shopify is probably one of the biggest MBA case studies out there. So can you talk to us a bit about um, how did it come about and how it's like after the acquisition for your company? Sure. I, you know, we were uh, in 2019, we were not looking to go sell the company at all. We were growing, you know, things were, were, were going pretty well. Um, we knew we had to go raise more capital. We were in the process of doing that. And as part of that process, we got introduced to Shopify as a potential investor in the company. And, and it turned out to be such strong strategic alignment in terms of our goal. The stated direction for Six River was to democratize fulfillment. The stated direction for Shopify is to de democratize e-commerce or de democratize commerce. So there, just the conceptual understanding that this was to make life better for everybody, not just somebody but for everybody and i think that that strategic alignment led to a lot of discussions you know shopify had already announced the shopify fulfillment network initiative and really needed some muscle behind that so six river represented kind of the next major investment for them in that space and today we're rapidly building out the technology stack to power that shopify fulfillment network at the warehouse level so it's been an amazing experience to go ahead and do that, and then yet still be told to pursue our dream and grow the initial concept of the company as quickly as possible without distracting and detracting from the overall value. So we're still out there very much building our product line, very much investing in new software capabilities to expand our customer base. And we've seen a doubling of our customer base since the acquisition. So it's been a pretty amazing experience for us. That is incredible. You hear a lot of stories about investor investing, but then they give incredible goals for startup without necessarily, you know, the, the, the system, the ecosystem for you to grow. And you're right in terms of democratizing e-commerce and fulfillment. You guys are perfectly aligned. Speaking of which, um, one thing that's very interesting about Shopify is the level of transparency it has provided for small businesses. So it's very easy for you to track order coming in um, and, and alert the consumers when things are being shipped. 
how do you think Six River Systems can contribute to that system of transparency? I think that the the challenge that Shopify has historically has had is that once an order gets to a certain level, it doesn't have that same level of transparency, right? So the merchant the merchant experience through Shopify systems is great, but once it gets to the physical fulfillment space, there's a gap. Historically, the merchants have had to either do it themselves or go to a third party to go do that, and you know that's a hard decision to make. That's a really hard decision to make. So what Shopify instead is doing is offering them a home. If they want to continue within the Shopify stack, they can now use the Shopify fulfillment network to do that and extend out that visibility and transparency and maintain that high level of merchant trust that Shopify has built out. Obviously, the merchant's very, very much aligned in, in making sure the customer promise is taken all the way through to the doorstep of the customer and get, the customer gets exactly what they expected. So for Shopify, using Six River to extend that visibility forward, if you will, closer to the, to the end customer of the merchant is a huge, uh, huge benefit to what we're trying to do. And, and that's frankly what we do for all of our customers, right? We do that for the 50 odd uh, customers that we have and in, in over 70 warehouses that we're deployed in now, we're providing better visibility to the overall process and a higher level of execution. And talking about your cohort of customers, what's interesting, Jerome, is that at Thomas, we have over 500,000 North American suppliers on our platform. A lot of them listen to this podcast. Uh, so I believe they're going to ask me or you this question. What is like the optimal company size and level of automation sophistication that will suit thinking about a system like what your company provides? It's, it's a question we get all the time. We are purposely targeting those. So there, there's, we're purposely targeting kind of what we would call the mid-tier market. Um, the reason being is that once you get to a certain size, you generally are uh, in the haves category where you have the ability to go invest in, you know, tens of millions of dollars into an automation project that's bespoke to you, that essentially is built specifically for you because you have the volume, you have the ability to go do that. In the mid-tier, and I'm talking about companies between a billion dollars in revenue and $10 million in revenue, that's generally a much harder proposition. You are growing very quickly or your business is shifting or you have competition for capital investment or dollars, resources, people resources, et cetera. So we are targeting that, in the, that segment simply because they've been underserved by a lot of technology providers historically. We are also uh, looking at specifically those companies that are establishing a direct-to-consumer or making investments in direct-to-consumer and establishing a direct-to-consumer brand. So we're seeing a lot of B2B companies traditionally are now moving online, uh, potentially as a response to COVID, but I think also that's just the direction of where things are going. Um, so we're seeing a lot of, of pull there. Um, and we're seeing a lot of omni-channel enablement for traditional retailers um, that are investing even further in their online presence and don't have the capacity today to be able to support that. And we are able to stand up those capabilities in a very short period of time. Within a couple months, we can get a system up and running. So that's a big differentiation versus, you know, a more bespoke, larger project that may take, you know, a year and a half to get up and running. Right. And I always love asking everyone this question. Um, in, in the United States, you can see that automation and, and Canada, you can see that automation is a key focus. Everyone talks about German's model, Germany's models of industry 4.0. Within the context of North America, 
what do you think uh, where the sector is going with automation? Obviously, you're a thought leader in the sector and, and, and your system is incredible. Where do you feel like we're going in 2021? So, I, you know, I think that there's a there's clearly a fork in the road. I think that it's not a decision whether to automate or not. I think that that's that decision is being made through economic factors, including the drive for more uh, direct to consumer, more deliver to home, more curbside pickup. All those things are driving the need for automation, but also the labor market itself and the aging labor market, the, the aging labor pool within the United States doing the fulfillment activities, warehousing activities and the decreasing number of people that are interested in that job. It is a good paying job, but we're seeing uh, wages increase substantially. The cost of labor is increasing substantially in that market. And again, that's fueling some of the decisions around, you know, not only do I have to pay more, but I, there's fewer people available. So my dependency on, uh, on uh, you know, the hourly associate is even greater and we need to get more productivity out of, out of that investment. So the decision to automate has been, I think, is clearly said. You're not going to go into a system and say, we're not going to automate. How much you automate and how you automate is the next question. I think that's where the big fork is. I think there will be people who will decide that the fewer the people in the building, the better. Um, but I think there are other people that are thinking about, it's not about reducing the number of people. It's about getting more productivity out of the people that I have in my building. And I want to essentially be a force multiplier. I want to be an enabler for my current hourly labor force that to, to do the job better, to do the job faster, uh, to get simply more uh, higher levels of service from my existing force. Um, and I think that that is where the vast majority of people are going. I think that there is a understanding that humans are incredibly adaptive. They're wonderfully like geared towards solving this problem. But making it easier for them to do the job will lend itself to a couple things, higher retention levels, higher productivity levels, fewer errors, higher accuracy. I think that's what everybody's aiming for and not about eliminating the human. That's a really hard problem that just a handful of companies are going to try to shoot for. That's great for those companies. But most companies, the vast majority of companies, those companies are not aiming for that result. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Thomas Industry Update podcast. To hear the rest of my conversation with Jerome Dubois, check out the extended video cut now available on YouTube and linked in the show notes of today's episode.